Aram and Sarai are called by God to be set apart for his purpose of blessing the earth. This elderly couple is commanded to get up and leave the land of their ancestors to embark on a mysterious and cumbersome adventure where they will experience the holiness of God. Throughout the first 12 chapters of Genesis, God has given order and purpose to creation. Mankind was formed from the dust of the earth to serve in a unique position in creation as God's servants. Mankind has been called to the adventure of life and purpose, and this is not an easy task. Since the fall, we can clearly see that creation is kept out of chaos at a great cost. Creation can only move from chaos to goodness through the Word of God, and that's a really mysterious thing in and of itself. The Word of God is beyond human language, and it predates any, well, the realization of mankind. And humanity is tasked with being God's servants who subdue creation and maintain God's order. <clears throat> Abram and Sarai really do not know how to found a nation, nor do they really know how to live holy lives. And the more you understand of the story of Abraham and Sarah, you realize how true this often is. But yet, they are not the agent of power founding this nation. God is. And even though they do not know what they can do to found this nation, they know what they cannot do. And essentially, they are called to embark on this adventure. And so long as they do that, God will build. For those of us in the church today, we know that through Christ, God has made a way for us to be saved and to embark on the adventure of holiness. In spite of this holy way, there are many who avert their lives away from this life-changing quest, and they would rather invest in worldly endeavors. In this message, we are going to discuss mankind's call to the adventure of holiness in Abram and Sarai. And with that, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and here with me this morning is Pastor Anthony Alegria. All right, Anthony, why don't we go ahead and by, begin by reading Genesis 12. Again, this is a bit of a recap of our study in Genesis. We went through Genesis 1 all the way to this moment. We've looked at a lot of different stories. We've built, looked at the morality that is built within these texts. And as we've built up our own minds around this, we now come to the cap on the series. We're going to look just today. Again, we're not starting a new series on Abram, but we are going to put a cap on the whole Genesis 1 through 12 today by looking at these verses. Anthony, would you read us the first 12 verses out of Genesis 12? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. They set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Sheshem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Alright, for the first time, God is calling specific individuals to be set apart for a particular purpose that is going to last long beyond their lifetime. We really do see an initial covenant happening here with Abram and Sarah, which will influence the kingdom of God really for indefinite time. 
And to be holy really is to be set apart for the purposes of God. We talk a lot about this adventure of holiness, and in the Church of the Nazarene, we use the word holiness and holy a lot, sanctification. But to be holy is to truly be set apart for the purposes of God. It is to be distinguished from the standards of the world and no longer bent towards the inward desires of the human spirit. The adventure of holiness, the call to live a life set apart for the purpose of God, it is not an easy adventure. Life is not naturally bent towards betterment, and this truth is vividly displayed in the world after the fall. To live a life of holiness is often to live a life where there is a lot of, well, challenges. It's cumbersome. It's not always easy to maintain righteous standards. And creation itself is held in order by the Word of God. This is something we found throughout Genesis. You go to those early chapters, you find there is the void. The Word of God comes and it brings with it goodness. And if we as human beings, we want to live a life that is set apart for God, we really are called to face many mysteries, many dangers, tragedies, and occasionally victories. With Abram and Sarai, they're about to go on an adventure where they will not really see the victory of this nation within their own life. It will come at a time that is much later. Their descendants will experience this, but for the two of them, well, they just get things set in motion. Whenever humanity is bent towards its own purpose, when it is curved inward on itself and willfully missing the mark that God has revealed, it finds itself in a world without hope. There is no progression in a world without God. It is just a hopeless existence where one awaits their turn to return to the dust of the earth. It is only with the order of God that we find creation moving out of chaos and into goodness. For people like Abram and Sarai, they would have again been just waiting to return to the dust of the earth. But through the mysterious word of God, people find meaning, and even creation itself finds the power of goodness to move away from the reasonless suffering of the void. Abram and Sarai, they were two people without any worldly value. They lived in a culture where men and women were valued on a simple metric. Men were valued based on their land and trade, and there was an expectation that they would pass on such valuables to their children. Women, they were valued on their children and wisdom with an expectation that they would beget future generations and they would pass the wisdom on to them. And for Abram and Sarai, they are reminded of the brutal reality that humanity does not possess the absolute power to create land or initiate the breath of life. Therefore, since Abram lacks land and Sarai lacks children, the two lack the value by the standards of the world to give them any meaning. They would just be two people existing to be forgotten by the sands of history. But in spite of this, God has great value for them. God does not desire that these two, who are now an elderly couple, would return from life to the dust of the earth without serving Him. God has great value for them when the world does not. And God is going to bless them with a risky and cumbersome adventure. And that's interesting here. God doesn't just come and give them something and say, allow me to give you some sort of morphia to ease the pain. Let me just give you some little busy work to do to give you meaning in life. God comes to them and gives them something of lasting value. The meaning that he's giving to them is one that will transcend the time that they're here on this earth. It's going to go long beyond the limits of their life, and it will go through generations after them. Anthony? I think it is interesting and um, really cool to note that the medium for this is going to be family. That through family, um, not only are they going to receive uh, basically the best blessing that they could have received, but they'll be giving uh, the best blessing that they could have given to the world. Yeah, and I always want to push back. A lot of times you hear people say this, 
um, when they come to Genesis, and sometimes with the church, they'll say, oh, God didn't intend for mankind to be alone. He intended for community. And I don't like the word community being used here. I, actually, I think it's the wrong word. The correct word is family. Family is more specific than community. That's like saying you have a rectangle when you have a square. Yes, technically a square is a rectangle, but not all rectangles are squares. Not all communities are families. And in the book of Genesis, quite clearly God intends for humanity to exist in family units, as sovereign family units, which are capable of carrying things from their ancestors to their descendants. And the thing which is really important about family is it looks throughout time. The, the weight, the calling of being the image of God, it's too great for any one person to bear and they need their family to do it. And what's interesting about family and what's so different about it being just a generic community is again, they, they do last throughout time. You've got a bloodline behind you. You have descendants coming after you. Whether those be spiritual ancestors or spiritual descendants, it really is, is a different mode of thinking. There's something a bit more intimate about a family, and even as the early church come around, they quickly adopted the language of brothers and sisters for one another because that is the understanding that when you are in the kingdom of God, you are part of the family of God. Again, we sing songs, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We don't use this generic term community. It's, it's too vague. It's not a, a equipped enough word to describe what is going on here. And the challenge to subdue the earth, which is called for the families of, of man to do, this challenge is not an easy one. It is not a challenge to leisurely enjoy the earth or to passively inhabit it. God calls us to mature, to come to a new level of being, to take the torch of our ancestors, to kindle it, and pass it on to our descendants. And again, that's not an easy thing. It's not just, I'm going to enjoy some time next to the campfire, next to the candlelight. You've got to kindle it. You've got to make preparations. You've got to have some planting. Whenever you look through Genesis, those are some things which are really intrinsic. God says, man's not to be alone. I want him to have family. Eve and Adam, they're sort of equals that are different. They complement one another. And as the fall comes, you know, they're sent out to the garden and or sent out of the garden and they have a very difficult life, but yet the calling still maintains. They're to mature, take on the torch and hand it to the next generation. And they're also challenged to subdue the earth. This is an adventurous thing, and it's not easy. It's not just a passive, leisurely thing. Again, God doesn't come to Abram and Sarai and just give them a bunch of stuff or give them a big hug and say, ah, oh, it's all great, and do something which is momentarily empathetic. Instead, he gives them something which is long-term fulfilling, and that is really important. The work that is set apart for the servants of God is not arbitrary. Again, it's not busy work meant to fill the time of the living so that their minds are occupied. But it is work that brings humanity closer to the holiness of God. And we find that with Abram and Sarai. Again, if you actually read through Genesis 12 and you look at what happens for the next few chapters to the end of Genesis, you'll find that not only do Abraham and Sarah, which are the names that they get, kind of mess things up and the same with Isaac and Jacob, and even the 12 sons when you finally get to the place with Joseph and the coat, you find a lot of people really missing the mark of holiness Though eventually down the line, you get someone like Joseph with his coat who really does a good job of being holy. The kingdom that is being promised to Abram and Sarah is not one that is going to pass away easily. It's not one that's going to pass away if people fail to be holy. It's not really dependent that much on how holy Abram and Sarah can be, but rather it is dependent on the holiness of God, which as we know, it is infallible. It is beyond the limits of human falls. And this kingdom, it is not one that will also pass away depending on borders or leaders. It will last for eternity and it will shape the trajectory of all the earth. 
God gives Abram and Sarai a very particular promise that they will be blessed and in turn they are to bless others. The nation that is to become Israel, and again as we understand Christian tradition, we as believers we come out of this tradition. Abram and Sarai, they are going to be a blessing to all the earth. And ultimately we see that come into fulfillment with Christ Jesus who comes to bring salvation. And this is not a trivial matter, and it's not going to end in their lifetime, and that's obviously so, especially with where we're at in time long after this couple. The secular world often depicts sin as being a personal and private matter that only affects an individual if that particular individual happens to be a religious faith. However, any observation of the world that is honest will remind us how untrue this is. Sin has real consequences, and they affect the world. You look at some basic sins outlined in the Ten Commandments. You go and you start acting them out. They're real-world consequences. But likewise, we must realize that holiness, too, has real-world consequences. The holy purpose that Abram and Sarai have is to be set apart as parents of a nation that will bless all of the earth. And this is even found there within the chapter 12 promise. You know, if you bless others, they will be blessed. If you curse others, they will be cursed. You know, there's real-world consequences to this stuff. If you are a holy person, if you are doing the holy things which God has called us to do, if you are bent towards God and not towards the inward desires, that is actually going to affect the world. God's holiness is not something for the couple, Abram and Sarai, to experience and keep to themselves, but it is to be directed outwardly and turned into a blessing for others. And whenever we accept the adventure of holiness, we accept this call to go out, to leave that which is static and stationary, and again, the world is not just bent towards betterment, so just going on any adventure will not do. You have to go on the adventure of holiness. It's really where a lot of people get trapped up. But whenever we accept this, there are real-world consequences. And again to this point that it's not just any adventure. There, there really is a divide in the line of thinking that we have in our world. There are a lot of people who say, well, humanity is naturally good. Um, or the world is naturally good. That just As long as you're progressing forward, you are moving in a better direction. This is, I mean, fundamentally not true. We've discussed this before. You leave just about anything alone and it's going to decay. You leave a house alone, it's going to rot. You take your clothes and you put them in a, a cupboard and you leave them there for a while. They'll get musky. Moths will come to eat them. You, you take an electronic. You leave batteries in it too long, it will decay and it'll ruin the circuit board. Even people, we know that over time our bodies, they get older and we, we go through the aging process. Just about everything in the world decays over time. And the rare things, something like making wine or adding paint, those things can only cure over time if very strict order and preparation is made. It takes a lot of discipline to have a progression of goodness rather than a progression of decay. And this is even true biblically. We come to the Bible and we look in Genesis and, well, what is there? There's the void. God comes to this void and he says there's meaningless suffering. There's no reason, no rationality. I am going to bring goodness. And through that, God brings strict order. God brings discipline. I mean, Genesis, the first seven days that we find of creation, they really are a set of rigorous disciplines, which are laws, rules, orders, holding the universe in a state of goodness. They are things which keep it away from the void, the place without reason, meaning, or any value. And when we look throughout Genesis 1 through 12, we see all these times where as people step out of the goodness which God has called us to, they, they do something, whether they sin or they just get bent so much on sin that they can't even think of anything other than sin, it sets the world towards decay. And throughout the Christian tradition, we understand that it takes a lot of work 
to progress towards goodness. You can't just do it by going on any adventure, but instead you have to go on the adventure of holiness. All right, so let's talk about what it means for us in the church. God does not want us to be passive inhabitants of his kingdom. Moreover, God does not want us to be passive members of the body of Christ. We are called, even in the most unexpected stages of life, to be people who are set apart for the purposes of God. Again, you look at Abram and Sarai, they're elderly people without children. You know, Abram's too young to go work and try to obtain land. Sarah's long past the age of childbearing. You know, it doesn't make much sense that these people would get these things. But yet, God loves his creation and does not merely find it acceptable for people to be stationary. Nor does God find it acceptable for people to be decaying and declining and moving on an adventure of sin. But instead, God loves creation and God loves the church. And he wants the church to be filled with increasing holiness. Not to be stationary, not to be petrified, but to be moving towards good. And whenever we love something, and we truly love something or love someone, we don't ever want to leave it in an acceptable condition. Because if something is acceptable, then it needs no improvement or attention. But in contrast, when we love things, we want to bring them to a better state. When we love people, we want them to experience hope, joy, and enduring meaning. And there are those who come to life and they find that they do not need God. And they avert their lives from the call of God. They invest in worldly valuables. They say, well, it is acceptable just to have worldly endeavors, to never hope for anything beyond it. And sadly, these things will just ultimately return to dust. The only things which have eternal value are, well, those things which have eternal value. It sounds like circular logic, but unfortunately that is just how it is. But there's great hope. There's satire in saying that it's unfortunate because truly when one looks at the world around us and we see that God has given us such a beautiful hope in his creation, we find a new meaning. For God loves the church and God does not want us to find our current state to merely be acceptable. God wants us to be constantly sanctified more and more and embrace the call of holiness. Our Heavenly Father, who spoke creation into existence, does not want us to be left derelict and hopeless subjects of a world just merely waiting our time to return to dust. God loves the church. He wants our churches, whether they're a large or small congregation, to experience the joy unspeakable which comes from doing the work of eternal meaning. And we do this with assurance that there is more than the limits of this world. Again, we have assurance in our faith, and that's a really wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing, and it gives us great hope. God is not an arbitrary or random God who is unpredictable, who comes and does things which are counter to his morality. We know that God's truth and God's hope is everlasting, and while there is a lot of mystery in how God works, and we do not get to design what God's actions are to be, and we have great fear and reverence for that, we can depend on God being the same yesterday as he will be tomorrow. We can embrace the adventure of holiness and understand that the rules which God gives us on the outset will still be the rules that apply in the end. The adventure that calls us to subdue the chaos in the world will still understand the chaos of the world to be the same thing. And when we embrace this call, we are really doing a beautiful thing. We are embracing in a kingdom where the keys have been handed to us from our ancestors and we will be able to pass those down to our descendants. Because in this life, we are called to fight back the chaos of the world that takes people towards reasonless suffering. We are called to bring people into the kingdom of God, to expose them to the gospel and give them the hope and eternal security which comes through Christ. And while we do not know what this adventure will look like, 
We do not know what step that we may take next. We are given pretty clear direction on what steps we cannot take. We have clear instruction on what is against Christian living. And a lot of times, especially where we're at in the church here in the West in America, people, they have no idea how to bring revival. A lot of people look to times in the past. And again, keep in mind, throughout Christian history, there have been times of great revival. There have been times where it's been more of a difficult fight. And we're in one of those times where we don't see revival happening in the West in the way that it has in the past. And people, they look at churches, they look at congregations, and they say, well, how are we going to bring growth? And I actually think, when we look to Abram and Sarai and we look throughout Christian history, there's a great beautiful thing in saying we don't always know what we're going to do next because we are not the agents of power that bring about revival, but we do know what we can't do. We are not called to provide the answers to ministry, but we are called to rise up and do what we can to subdue the chaos of life. We are called to be holy people wherever we go and to live in such a way that we are not bent towards the pleasing standards of the world, but instead we are bent towards the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be built, and God is the agent who builds it. We are simply called to be upright people who answer God's call whenever it comes. Abram and Sarai's call to bless the entire earth, that's a massive task, and especially a massive task for people who really don't have resources to do it. But yet, we can be thankful that Abram and Sarai, they are not responsible for supplying the power and resources needed to complete this task. Abram and Sarai do not really know how to bring about a large nation, but they are instructed on what they cannot do. They cannot sit idle. They cannot be bent towards sin. They cannot be bent towards worldly value. They cannot live as people focused on pleasing worldly standards. They cannot be mere people of sin. They cannot be people who refuse to mature and instead live in fantasy. Abram and Sarai must move in the direction that God has called them, and that is all that is expected of them. And we should be really grateful for this, because quite often in life we don't know what next step to take, but yet we know what steps we cannot take. For the two who are quite often falling into right, unrighteous and, well, mishaps, we can be blessed with the story of Abram and Sarai that, well, it's not so much about their own power, but the power of God. Because as you read through the story of Abraham and Sarah, they get into a lot of things which they ought not. It's quite evident through the lives of Abram and Sarai, who will later be renamed Abraham and Sarah, that it is not their own power which builds this new nation, but it is instead the power of God. God forgives them in their shortcomings, but God never lowers the bar of holiness. And even though Abram and Sarah never really see this new nation, their descendants do. And even though this couple never really lives lives marked by holy behavior, they will have descendants that do. They have both spiritual and blood descendants who will take this call to bless the earth and they will do something meaningful with it. There are many descendants from this line who do wonderful and magnificent things through their faith and fear of God. And so that's really where I want us to end our exploration of Genesis. As we come to wrap all this up, I want us to think about the call and the adventure of holiness that we have. So with that, Anthony, any final thoughts or comments before we close? Nope. All right. Well, with that, God love you all and have a blessed day.